0: Welcome everybody to the Halos in the infield podcast. My name is Fernando Mendez. I'm joined here by Andrew Ciccarelli and a special host, Taylor Blake Ward. Taylor, how you been?
1: I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate uh, appreciate you guys asking me to come on, talk a little ball, and uh, it's always good to be back on the podcast world. Yeah, man. Thanks yeah, for we reached on. out
0: to the other Taylor Ward, but when he didn't respond, we figured out uh, you might as well go for the next next thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: stage. the the other Taylor Ward. That's what, uh, Which one of us is the other Taylor Ward? That's the that's the real question.
0: That's okay. true. It's the Spider Man meme where you're like pointing at each other.
1: <laughs> or what's uh the the Ranger said that reliever who I think his name was Blake Taylor or something like that, and he was facing oh. Taylor Ward, and it's like, oh crap, this is this is a tough stuff. <laughs>
2: Didn't
0: we have a situation where Will Smith was facing Will Smith?
1: Mm-hmm. That yeah. was uh, NLCS. <laughs> was that NLCS last year,
2: or was that that was the was that the the World Series when he was on Houston?
1: I can't remember. Uh, I, yeah, I don't something either. Something I know what similar. happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something similar. So there you go.
0: There you go. The fact that you guys never took that photo in spring training. I don't know if you ever went out there uh, to cover when you were with uh, Locked On Angels, but uh, that you guys should have taken a photo like that.
1: What you, you know, doing? when he got drafted, um, everyone and their mother took a picture of a, the two of us standing next to each other, and we never knew it. And then suddenly, you know, someone sent me a text or sending him a text. <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, here's a picture of Taylor Ward and Taylor Ward." Blah blah. blah. And um, <laughs> last time I saw him, man, I, I saw him end of 2019, something like that. I, I've talked to him, but I haven't seen him. um But yeah, it's it's funny. It's like. um you know, when he was in the minors and we'd, we'd be standing next to each other, people would, hey, what's going on here? You know, it's, it's kind of – it's fun. He's a good guy. I like Taylor a lot. And, uh, I don't know if he'll say the same about me, but so be it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's still pretty cool when you have a guy who uh, shares, uh, shares your name.
1: <laughs> I dig it.
0: Um, so uh, let's get to it. Uh, we've been asked a lot of draft questions. Now, I – obviously enjoy the draft because you know for the for any sports franchise it's your opportunity to build from the ground up and in baseball the minor leagues and making sure your minor league system is replenished is one of the most important things so that's why i love the draft but i'm not the best at covering you know guys in college now i know that's always kind of been one of your favorite things taylor because going back to your podcast days i remember you'd always go all out for these episodes and i know you're very knowledgeable and andrew is as well so we wanted to go ahead and bring somebody like you on to go ahead and share your expertise your knowledge and we can go ahead and uh, you know just have some fun and talk draft
1: yeah i'm all for it it's uh you know when um when i started i was with scout.com which turned into 24-7 sports and it was a CBS affiliate, then it was a Yahoo affiliate. And that's why I ended up I ended up leaving because it just it turned into a mess on the baseball side. But um yeah, Jeff Ellis. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Jeff Ellis, he was with me and it was kind of the two of us. Actually, the, the guy that was there before us was Kylie McDaniel, who is a very well-known reporter for ESPN right now, covering the draft and, and the minor, you know, prospects and uh, kind of baseball from that perspective. And we kind of filled in for Kylie after that. Um, and then just through time, it, it kind of changed. And um, Jeff, uh, Jeff and I just kind of peeled off into our own little, own little deal. Um, you know, in time, I was still doing stuff for Fox Sports, but it's still fun, man. Still fun.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I recognize all those names. I've read articles from everyone. <laughs> that's really cool.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, <laughs> it was. It's it, you know, since uh, 2013 was the first draft I covered, um, and sadly this year it, it's a. It, Tough deal. Um, you know, I, I planned a vacation before the draft announcement came out of when the draft was going to be, and the vacation just lands perfectly on on draft time. You know, I, I'm I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of Northern California when the draft starts, and I was trying to explain to my family that I'm going to have to peel off for a couple hours to <laughs> watch the draft or whatever. It's, it's not going to play. So, sadly, this year, um, my, my following the draft live is going to be tough, but I'll have stuff after after the draft, talk a little bit about some of the kids I've seen. i mostly see – when you cover the draft, obviously, for myself, um, even when I was uh, being paid to do so and everything, my my boundary line was kind of California, Southern California. So anyone that was here, I could see in person, and that's still the way it is. But you can either watch TV and, and watch college baseball or, or watch these showcases, uh, high school baseball or stuff. But for the most part, you're, you're texting – all your connections, whether it be an executive with a front office or a scout that you've met over time, um, it, it, even agents. You know, I've talked to, I, I have people that are agents uh, out in Florida that I've never met in person, but we've connected. And it, it gets really interesting to kind of connect the dots, uh, especially, I mean, you guys will get this. A mock draft means absolutely nothing. It means yep. absolutely not. <laughs> there is no importance to a mock draft, but damn it, they're fun to read. They're fun to write. Um, they're informational, and it does benefit you as a reader to kind of get a grasp of what is going on uh, before the draft. But literally, no one has ever had a perfect draft. I mean, Jim Callis, I think, went 16 picks d- deep one year, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, Jim Callis knew the first 16 picks. Holy crap. <laughs> but yeah. – um. But realistically, they're they're pointless. They're meaningless. So the real draft coverage that you want to do is you want to get the accuracy of what the player, what the scout or the uh, industry perspective is of a player when he is drafted and how it's going to help the team moving forward that did take that player. And then you can go, you know, I mean, shoots. It used to be forty rounds. I could not tell you a scouting report on every single kid that went to the Angels
0: or the Dodgers or, or whoever, you know, it, it gets tough. Well, it's time to end this interview now, Then We are hoping <laughs> yeah, you are going to go all the way through. Yeah, yeah
2: my, my, top, uh,
1: my top 1,500 uh, amateur players college rankings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Not the headline for an article.
1: <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> so how much would you, is there any aspect of like where executives might be influenced by media coverage of a player? And you kind of see like that kind of
1: uh, influence, um, maybe off field, maybe more off field. So I mean, yeah, I mean there there is an opportunity at that, but realistically, what is a media member going to say that an area scout has not already had? Um, you know, these area scouts have connections with the families, they have connections with the representatives, with the player themselves. The media may, you know, i might let's say that I know, you know, Fernando Mendez. Who is a potential first, second round pick? Um, you know, and, and I know him through Twitter, or I know him through just talking. Uh, but I don't know Fernando's parents. I don't know his representative all that well. I may, I may talk to his representative, but and maybe Fernando. Uh, I'm picking on you a little bit just because your name's <laughs> here and I don't want to use. But You're let's good. say, for, you know, Fernando, when he was 17 in high school, uh, smoked a cigarette. You know, I, you know, for all we know, whatever it is, and now he's a, a college junior. Yeah, that's draft eligible. And suddenly it's like, Oh, that cigarette, you know, we got to be careful that he may have a uh, lung cancer down the road or something. And it's like, you know, could we have that media influence? Possibly, you know, those are kind of things. That, and there are times where news outlet, I would say major media outlets, you know, MLB pipeline, baseball, America, et cetera, could have a bonus estimate or something that they've been told is a bonus and that could be something that the team never had. And suddenly there's a little bit of a, a disconnection there. Those are the things. But realistically, I couldn't tell you that Fernando Mendez needs to go number one overall. And I have a bunch of people, the executives, that trust me on this. They're going to sit there and talk to their area scouts, their cross checkers, their scouting directors, and say, no, nah, he's probably 20th to 30th pick <laughs> you know, He's not going first overall kind of deal. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Uh, let me. Uh, so baseball is so much harder to predict than you know NBA or uh, NFL. You know, especially you know. I mean, football. It, it seems like normally the top three to five players are properly projected more often than not. But uh, if you had to give me your best guess as to who you think the Pirates are going to draft number one overall, who who would you put your money on if you're a betting man?
1: Oh, so this year's tougher. Um, the Pirates are. Kind of, I mean, every team does it, but there's just it, this is a year where there is not a solidified number one. We had Adley Rushman, we had Casey Mize, we had Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, etc. Whatever it is, right? This year, there is a an industry consensus of who probably should go number one, which is Marcela Meyer down in San Diego region, um, Eastlake High School. Yeah. Um, But the Pirates are kind of maneuvering some money. And like you said, the baseball draft is very different from NBA, NHL, NFL. You know, money plays a huge part in the baseball draft. So, you know, there's Henry Davis, a catcher at Louisville. There's um, Jordan Lawler, a uh, high school shortstop out of Texas, Um, guys like this. And it's kind of looking at, you know, could we say – if we went with Henry Davis, uh, number one, and we saved – $800,000 $800,000 with that by signing Henry instead of signing Marcelo, um, you know, that's going to go to our second, third round pick. I think right now, if I had to say who is going to go number one, I would say Marcelo Meyer. Um, but I think Henry Davis is, is definitely in that mix. I think he's very much in that mix. Um, I would say Ma- Meyer, by my opinion, he was the best player I saw all year. And that's just me. You know, I, I watched um, – I watched a lot of TV, but in person, the best guy I saw this year was Meyer. And I think that's kind of industry consensus is that Meyer is probably the best player in this draft. Um, But then you start getting into two – I mean, shoots the second pick. It could be totally different from the industry consensus of who is at the top of the board. It could be Jack Leiter, who is one of the better-known names in this draft. Uh, It could be Khalil Watson, who is a Carolina – prep shortstop. I'm trying to think of states here. Wake (laughs) Forest (laughs) High School? What's that? Wake Forest High School? Yes, Wake Forest High School. And, um, you know, it's kind of all over the board on that. Um, But, yeah, if I had to give you a guess at a one, two, three here, I think Marcella Meyer absolutely is not going to get out of the top three. Detroit loves him at three. Um, But even at two, Texas likes him. So I think guaranteed Marcella Meyer is going to go in the top three. I think that you could put Jack Leiter in that conversation. There is a chance he could fall to four. Uh, Henry Davis, similar in that conversation. Um, those are the only guys I would feel confident in saying that they are probably locks to go in the top five for sure. All
2: right. Yeah, sounds go ahead. I was going to say – Oh, sounds, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to change it. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like a top – like a great top four to be. Um, I was wondering, you're going back to Henry Davis when you were talking about him, maybe being able to be signed lower. Would that be kind of like what the Astros were doing with uh, Carlos Correa back in the day?
1: Yeah, I've got to think back. because so Carlos was the draft before I started, so I, I've I've only mentally kind of grasped things, but yeah, you you go under slot, um, and that can save you money for the second round, third round comp, whatever it is. Um, for the Pirates, they don't have a comp pick. So their next pick, I think, is 39, 40 ish range. So, I mean, the, the talent's going to fall off. So, if you, to me personally, if you feel that there is a clear number one and in your talent evaluation process, you have come across that this player is a clear number one and where it could save us X amount of money to save, you know, to get the second best player on our, by our opinion, what's that gap? Is that gap large enough to really make the decision saying, yeah, it could set us up better at 40 or whatever it is, 40 picks later. But there's so much that can happen over the span of 40 pick. I mean, so, so much can happen over the span of five picks. Yeah. So yeah. realistically, I mean, I'm, I'm not Ben Sherrington. I'm not the Pittsburgh Pirates or anything <laughs> like that. But I just don't see a scenario where they see Marcelo Meyer as the best talent and then going out and saying, "Hey, we're gonna give you seven point five million. Turn that down. Come on, you know." Yeah. So, I think uh, I think Marcelo Meyer is definitely the guy. But yeah, I, I, um, if it were a situation similar to Correa or something like that, I think it would be more of like Jordan Lawler because I think Correa was still one of the better
2: talents yeah. in the draft.
1: Just it was um, shoots. I don't remember who went number two that year. I remember who went three. It was Zanino went three, and Zanino was my guy. Um, but I can't remember who went two. <laughs> 2012, so long ago, yeah, apparently. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. a <little> way back.
2: <laughs> and you know, it felt a lot more recent in my head when it, I said it, that.
1: It really does. It, it's weird. It's like um, someone will say something, and I'm like, oh, 2005. I'm like, yeah, that was, what, five <laughs> years ago? And they're like, nope, 15. And I'm like, uh, all right. Um, Number two was Buxton. You know, and Buxton, I think, was the the viewed perspective is is the premium up there. Um, I don't think Correa was as big a fall off, and that's why I'm saying someone like Jordan Lawler, who is still one of the arguably top three, top five talents in this draft, I think that's where it would kind of go to. That makes sense.
2: That's a a good comp with another high school uh, shortstop too. Uh,
0: So one person I wanted to ask about was Jack Leiter. Um, Did I say his last name correctly? you did um so he at some point people were really excited about him and he was getting some comparisons to some power arms like a, like a Steven Strasburg even some people were even throwing out the phrase generational uh, pitcher uh, and this specifically i remember was last year cuz the angels were in a position where they kept losing and people really wanted us to you know quote unquote tank so that we can get this generational type talent uh, how do you think the viewpoint on him has changed? Because I've seen some area, uh, some outlets who are saying he's going to be, you know, on the lower portion of the tens to, you know, top three. What are you thinking? Happened with, you know, him?
1: Um, I, I think we, as a, uh, as a people, are more in tune because of social media and because of publications. There is more publication, more social media coverage of amateur talent. Um, so when you hear a name like Kamar Rocker or Al Leiter for three years, you're going to sit there and say, yeah, this guy has been a talent for this long, et cetera, et cetera. I, from a scout's perspective, I don't think much has changed. I think that they have viewed him as one of the better arms in general. Um, obviously a top of the first round kind of player, top of, you know, top 10, top five, top one. You know, some guys will probably say he could be the best player in this draft. Um but I don't know about generational. I don't know, you know. I think the Strasbourg comments, or um, I'll t- I, I will bet you ten dollars each. I'll bet you ten dollars each that Harold Reynolds is going to throw a Nolan Ryan comp on him. I, I <laughs> promise you that. And you know, like, it's funny—they're going to have the side by sides, and it's actually going to look—it's going to match up. But then people are going to say, "Oh, he's Nolan Ryan," and it's like, "No, he's not. He's not Nolan Ryan. Damn it! Like no one is." But the the Strasburg. It's just when a guy is kind of going number one, you start generalizing things and saying that this guy's going to be X talent and put him with these guys that have been those X talents. It's not always the case. Um, Jack Leiter, fantastic pitcher. The comparison that I consistently see is Sonny Gray. So how do we all view Sonny Gray? Very good pitcher in the major leagues top of a rotation, probably a number two, maybe a number three in a rotation. But if that's the talent that you get from the draft, that's a very good talent. Um, Obviously, Steven Strasburg is what he is. He's one of the best pitchers in the game when he's healthy and when he's throwing proper. But, um, you know, this isn't a Jacob deGrom. This is not a Nolan Ryan. This is not – and I think it's just that we have a, a view of things because we have heard Jack Leiter's name for a very long period of time And that kind of transcends to Bryce Harper was on the Sports Illustrated cover. Uh, Hunter Green was on the Sports Illustrated cover. Um, And and that just transcends in our mind to these legendary talents. That's not the case. Um, And that's not a knock on Jack. I think Jack actually – if I'm, you know, being honest, I think Jack is going to be better than Sonny Gray. It's just a comparison I think is fair to make. Um, But, yeah, Jack is – a little home run prone, um, gave up a few home runs later uh, after a, a long hitless streak, really remarkable run. Um, little smaller guy, he's about one ish. Um, so trying to figure out the plan on the fastball, things like that. The fastball is fant- fantastic. Um, third pitch is good, but you kind of want to see improvements of the third pitch, the command's fine. Um, you want to see a little more power to the curveball. And I'm talking. I mean, we're we're nitpicking one of the best players in this draft. I mean, I, I literally, yeah. you know, this guy has All Star potential. I'm nitpicking to the point of very, very nitpicky. But yeah, it's little things like that that I think take away from that, you know, the perception of this is a generational talent from the fan side, as opposed to what the scouts actually have in their notes because these scouts have seen it for. Even a new scout is going to understand and comprehend that this guy is. Good, not historically great.
2: That makes sense. What do you think about his uh, counterpart at Vanderbilt, um, Kumar Rocker?
1: Love him, love him, love him. Um, I think he's great for uh, any organization that he gets into. I think he's someone that can um, do things off the field that are very important for the game. I think he can grow the game. I think he's an exciting young man, Um, talent wise. The velocity kind of went down this year. So it people kind of soured a little bit. The performance was fine. Nothing wrong with the performance. Um, the breaking ball is still outstanding. I think people wanted to see a, a third pitch incorporated a little bit better, and that didn't come into play. And when the fastball, you know, we talk about that 20-strikeout game, the no-hitter in the playoffs and everything. He goes out this year, performs throughout the playoffs and everything, but we don't hear the same stuff. And it's yeah, because yeah. he's not throwing 97, 98 He's throwing 91 to 95, which is still, I mean, he he got up to you know mid-high 90s this year. But it's just the consistency of the fastball velocity kind of scared people away. I don't know if the, there's arguments to be made about certain things, arm fatigue and, and, and things like that. But realistically, this is a guy that um, with this draft itself, there are, I would say, eight, possibly nine guys. I would say eight guys at the very top of the draft that are superior talents to the rest of the draft. Kamar Rocker is in that category. I would say he's probably six, seven, eight of the eight.
2: Okay. That makes sense to why he's been kind of following down, falling down the draft boards and those mock drafts, which I know of that. <laughs> well, meeting. No, I, oh, I always mean, so just, valuable.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> By the way, I have a mock draft coming out Saturday night. I Hope you guys can check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, though you're not in the pre- uh, prediction business, I think that's what you always used to say. Uh, if you, who would you think would fall down to nine, and who do you
1: think the Angels are looking at
0: in that position? Right, they're drafting ninth, correct?
1: They are. Um, uh, So the Angels, I think, want one of those top eight. And all it would take for them to get one of those top eight is for one team to go under slot ahead of them. Um, I think realistically you're looking at one of three players that have a chance to fall. I think Kamar Rocker is one of those guys. Um, But I think he probably has a less likelihood I think Brady House, who is a uh, Georgia Georgia infielder, shortstop, third baseman, Winder Barrow, yeah, yeah, okay. uh, my favorite in the
2: draft. So
1: yeah, Brady House is a guy who I've been on for quite a while. Like him and Jackson Job, the the top prep pitcher in the draft, who some people would argue from a scouting a raw scouting perspective is the top talent pitching wise in this draft. Um, I think those are the three guys that have a shot to get to the Angels. Um, I think there's just as much of a chance that they don't, any of them. Um, and I think at that point, I think the Angels are going to look to possibly maneuver a little bit of money. I don't think they're going to go crazy under slot or anything like that. But I think that you're looking at probably the top college pitcher, top college hitter uh, in the in the conversation, which would be uh, Matt McClain at UCLA, Ty Madden at Texas, um, or a flurry of high school uh, athletes, Um, Harry Ford is a name, Will Taylor is a name, Um, uh, Bubba Chandler is a name, Benny Montgomery is a name. These are kind of the guys I think that if things don't play, I think those are the guys that kind of do. But if one of those top eight falls, that's a tough conversation to have in the draft room and sitting there trying to figure out what's going to be best moving forward into the rest of the draft.
2: So what's your take on Brady House? Because I've been following him and he's one of my favorite players in the draft.
1: I've I was on him I was high on him at this time last year I'm high on him but not as much right now I don't know I don't know how much I buy into the hit tool
2: yeah I've heard he's um, been inconsistent
1: yeah I mean I think he's got a chance to be a, an average hitter um but if I'm drafting that high I kind of want a little more And I, that's just me being greedy um also, pos- potential position change. Um, I think he can play shortstop, but realistically, I think his value is going to be a third. I'd rather have it at a premium position kind of thing. So it- it's like, uh, like I said, I'm nitpicking heavily on one of the top talents in the draft. And that's what we do. Um, for some reason, the fifth round pick, we absolutely love the fifth round pick, <laughs> but we nitpick the first pick. And it's like, wh- what are we doing? You know, why do we like this guy in the fifth that went. 100 picks after whatever, um, and it kind of changes things. But, um, yeah, I I like Brady House. um, Future potential, I think there's other guys that I like more, and that's kind of where I would just leave it. But definitely a guy that I think belongs in the top 10 of this draft.
2: Okay.
0: Perfect. Uh, Was Brady House the guy that you said uh, could be a potential two-way player, Andrew?
2: I think he throws 97 off the mound. I was looking at his – was it uh, – I think it's Perfect USA, whatever the uh, – where they uh, – man, I'm missing, messing up the name. I just had the page in front of me. But uh, basically where they record your velocity off the mound, velocity from shortstop, that he's being clocked off the mound at 97 miles per hour.
1: Uh, I believe it. I, um, I've only seen him as a hitter. Uh, I know that he has thrown in the past, um, but I think – the future is purely on the hitting. Yeah. Um, he's already- yeah, it, a little purely on the hitting. The guy I think you guys might be thinking of is uh, Bubba Chandler. He's he's probably the top two way player in this draft.
2: What do you think uh, Bubba Chandler's going to go?
1: You know, I thought the Angels might take him at nine for a while there, but I, I think the Giants really like him at fourteen. But I don't think they like him enough. I don't know if the draft model. They, they're a team that really plays well on the draft models. Um, and I don't know if he fits in there so I'm gonna say he's kind of he's kind of a wild pick I would say anywhere from 14 down to 40 you oh, know man. I mean probably Ooh. probably on big, big range well probably closer to 14 but in all honesty I mean that's a, and it's funny you, you you say big range and it's true that is – what is that 25 picks or so but realistically the talent level of of these kids and how close match they show up in draft models, how close they are according to each scout and evaluation. The the 15th pick, I mean, well, let me <laughs> let me make sure I get the, no realistically, like the the fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth pick, talent wise, is not that different from the guy that goes 30 something. Yeah,
2: that, that
1: makes sense. It's really not that different. So it's kind of like um like I said, there there are eight guys in this draft that are superior to the rest um, at this moment. Of course, everything can change. The draft is a total crapshoot. You have to develop. You have to do all these things. But from a, a talent perspective, at the moment, there are eight guys that are at the top of the board. I would say there are ten more guys after that that are in that next year. After that, you've got a list of about fifty guys that are, you know, you're you're throwing darts.
2: Do you think your there's any so I've heard like with the Rockies, how they kind of got rid of a lot of their analytics department. And I was wondering, are there any teams that are kind of literally just throwing darts at the board?
1: I wouldn't say throwing darts per se. Um, a lot of teams rely on draft models. So it's, you know, you, you've got physicality, you've got performance, you've got age, you've got uh, tools, uh, scouting opinions, all kinds of things like that. And every team has a uh, a board, and it's kind of like a almost like a power ranking. I, I'm it's late at night. I'm drawing blanks, but <laughs> no, it's, you know you have your players listed of what you want, literally until you get down to the th- you know thirtieth, fortieth round. Now we only have twenty rounds this year, but you're gonna have every name listed, and you have your favorite at the top. Now, could you move down two slots or something like that? Sure, and you're progressively taking the names out and everything. But every team has You know, we talk about uh, rankings. Rankings don't really mean a whole lot of things, prospect rankings, but these teams do it. You know, every team has their own internal top 30 prospects for every organization or whatever, you know, however many it is based on a tool set and everything like that. It's the same as a draft. You know, I would have, like I was telling you guys, Marcelo Meyer, he's the best guy I saw all year. He's my number one at the top of the board. My number two, probably Jack Leiter, Henry Davis, Khalil Watson, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, And you get down into, the third round and I have a guy that's 89th on my board that I just, for whatever reason, suddenly the opinions in the room just kind of come together and everything. So there's not really any um, throwing darts, but there is definitely some, a little bit of guesswork that that comes together with this board and everything and and who your favorites are at the top of the board. But um, throwing darts, I'm, I'm not so sure I'd use that term. That makes sense. So, So,
2: uh, oh, go ahead. You're good. Uh, Yeah, I'm cutting you off again right there. So I was going to say, who would you say has the biggest influence in the draft room? Do you think, like, different teams have majorly different strategies or that most teams are going about it the same way?
1: It does change team to team. Um, For the most part, the general manager is going to have the ultimate say. Um, But realistically, a lot of general managers trust the people that they hired for that position, the scouting director, and and the general manager say, who is at the top of our board and scouting director will say player X. And he says, great, that's the guy that we're going to, you know, and the general manager has gone and seen these guys and that's kind of, but you know, the general manager will say um, something on the lines of, Hey, if it comes down to a split in the room, take the pitcher or take the hitter Um, and things like, and, and that's the ultimate say, you know, the general manager is the one that builds this team. Um, But scouting director has a big say. Area scouts, when you get deeper into the draft, area scouts are going to have a a good say on things. Um, And obviously, if it comes down to it, the owner is going to be the one that has the ultimate say. Um, You know, the owner can come in and say, um, find a way to get this kid from... Texas, because I went to Texas. My best friend went to Texas, and this is his son's best friend, and and he's the best player I've ever seen in my life. Well, you know, and, and he wants this amount of money, and I want to give him that money. But those things happen. The owner, I mean, literally, sometimes the owner will come in with Baseball America publication and say, "Why the hell do we not have a top 100 prospect? Go get me a top 100 prospect." What's going on? It's it's happened, and it's gotten people fired. So, prospect rankings, I mean. You talk about media influence earlier. Prospect rankings can have that media influence at times. And um, that media influence can have an impact in the draft room where owners have come in or or executives or chairmen or whatever have come in and say, why do we not have a top prospect? And it's like, well, this is why. And the owner's like, that's BS. You know, it's (laughs) not right. And whether it is or isn't. So the, the pecking order still remains the same of owner, GM, scouting director but realistically i think for most teams it's the general manager and the scouting director have kind of come together with this decision based on what their scouting staff has mostly told them
0: are you telling me that there's a chance that you have gotten somebody fired with your mock drafts yeah, doubt it <laughs>
1: <laughs> if, if so then i uh, i probably got a good bounty on my head
0: <laughs> there you go
1: I'll, I'll split the I'll split the price with you. I'll I'll run off to Mexico. You guys can split the cost. Just, uh, just uh, Venmo or whatever it is to me. Hey, sounds like yeah, yeah. You know,
0: it, it has to be something untraceable. Catch you on the <laughs>
1: Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So, um, next question I have for you is: name a couple guys who you think are going to fall to the second round that anybody who's in that first round, maybe near the end of the draft, maybe should take another look at. Like, who, who are some of your favorite guys you think are going to drop down there?
1: If any. Going to stay local on this. Um, Gage Jump is a guy that I absolutely love. I think he's one of the most pro-ready prep arms I've seen in a long time. Only problem is he's about 5'11", 5'10". Um, he's a pitcher. Um, lefty, though, I love his pitch ability. Um, he's, you know, from a premier program with serious performance at that premier high school program, I really like him. Um. A kid down in San Diego area, his name's Carson Williams. I don't know if he's going to make it out of the first based on some new information, um, but there's a chance he ends up in the second round. Um, two-way guy who has zero interest in pitching, so he's going to be a shortstop hitter, but super athletic kid. I really like him. Um... I'll give you guys one. I got to think of the kid's name. He's, he's up at Washington state. He's a first base only guy. actually probably a DH. His name is Kyle. Kyle something, man. It's a, it's an Italian last name if I'm remembering right, but just a kid that I think is going to hit. I absolutely love his hit tool. I love the power potential. He's, he's really positionless unless you trust that he could play first base, but I think he can hit. Um, a guy that I think people are low on that I think could be third, fourth, fifth round even is a kid named Max Ferguson out of Tennessee. Um, second baseman, he's not going to be—he's a middle infielder, but he's not going to play shortstop. I think he can hit, and I—that's I, more me on the tools, and the scouts probably disagree, which the scouts are way more knowledgeable than I am. But for whatever reason, I—I I really like this kid. I think he has a chance to hit, and um, I'm on board with Max Ferguson. Another guy there. Uh, when I get kind of deeper into the deal, I think of first, well, I think a first baseman because the value of a first baseman in the first round just doesn't match up. But first baseman continually hit, and they find ways to hit, and you're gonna th- you're gonna make it with some. You know, eventually you're gonna take a first baseman late in a round, and it's gonna connect. Look at Jared Walsh, and and that's an extreme scenario. But yeah, I think, you know, take a take a chance on a first baseman in the fifth, sixth, seventh round that you believe in the hit tool, screw it. If he's a first baseman, he's a first baseman. You got something. I, those are the guys. Nico Cavadas at Notre Dame is one of those guys. Um, yeah, those are the guys that I'm really on board with. Um, out here, JT Schwartz, UCLA. Love him. Absolutely love him. Probably third, fourth, fifth round. Maybe closer to third. Absolutely love him. First base kid. Uh, not He's a development project. Yeah. Um, the swing, you're going to have to get him into his power. But I'll tell you, if you can tap into his power, that is a serious hitter in the middle of your lineup. I I really like him. And like I said, the reason that, you know, certain players are ranked or, or go in the first or second round is they're, they're better. Scouts believe they're better. And there's, you know, and scouts are way more knowledgeable than I am. But there are certain guys in that third to fifth round tier that I'm just sitting there, I'm just like, man, that could be a steal based on my sole opinion. And I'd say, um, Max Ferguson, Nico Cavadas, um, the kid from Washington State, the the first baseman there, J.T. Schwartz. Um, those are the guys in the after the second round. I'm I'm really in on. Oh, and, and Jace Thompson, uh, North Carolina, super athlete, all the tools in the world. Not sure he can hit, but if he can, that guy's a stud. Feels like there's always a thousand <laughs> players coming out of North Carolina. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he's UNC. He's UNC and, um, the hit tool, he's going to strike out a ton. He, he reminds me of Trace Thompson. It just so happens. The name is similar, everything like that. But you remember Trace Thompson, the tools that he, he had, he had power. He could field. Um, it's just, he never hit. And that's kind of where I am with, with Jace Thompson, Trace, Jace. Now I get it. No, No wonder I'm comparing the two, but, um, I just see similar and similar profiles, similar profiles, but definitely a guy that I think is interesting. So there's, there's names down there that I like um, that the industry's maybe lower on, which is, you know, I'm like, I was telling you guys, I'm yeah. I'm kind of a nobody, but I'll take it. I like these guys.
2: I mean, you've been covering it every year for a long time now. So you definitely have an eye for this. Do you have any players that you uh, were really high on in the past that really just hit it big?
1: Yeah. Um, Jared Klenick. Um, obviously a major league product hasn't been there yet, but every year I usually have a guy, you know, like a guy that I absolutely just love. And I'm trying to think of who I've missed on more than I, than I've hit on because I love Shane Baz, Um, and we're seeing what he's doing with Tampa right now. Um, kind of coming up. Um, Shane Baz was a guy, Jared Kalenick is a guy that I just, and I never expected what Jared Kalenick is doing at all. You know, I thought, yeah kind of my perception was always um, Jared Kalanick reminded me of Jay Bruce and Jay Bruce was a very good baseball player. Um, Could Jared be better than, than Jay Bruce? Absolutely. So it's kind of like, did I expect this? No, but I still like him. And I'd say that's kind of the, I would say Jared is probably the the top guy that I'm a little higher on when it comes to things. Um, Probably unfair to say, but Adley Rushman, I mean, Gosh, I, I love I, how can you not? I mean, I think he's got yeah. future, future superstar status kind of thing. I really like him. Um, those are kind of the guys, you know, I'm trying to think of who I floundered on, but I try not to speculate too hard, but it, it's um, the guys you flounder on are the more important ones. The ones that you miss are the ones that you you go back and try to understand why you missed. And those are more important than the ones you hit on. Um and even, like, Jared Kalenic, like, I knew I liked him. I thought he'd be good. Why did I not think he'd be as good as he is? And that's where it's kind of meeting that gap. But um, a guy that I really liked, and, and this is – I loved him. And I thought he was a middle-of-the-rotation middle uh, starter. Um, and I don't think he ever made it out of high A was um, Mark Sappington, who I think was a fifth-round pick for the Angels back in, like, 2010, 11, something like that. I thought he was a stud. And he, uh, he I don't think he ever made it out of high A or double A. Um, but I really liked him, thought he had a chance to be a middle of the rotation starter. What turned out to be the issue was the control, uh, command, uh, it, it mostly command, um, just kind of execution, just kind of execution. It, it, I'd have to look back, I was really young, um, in kind of my growth of that kind of stuff at the time, um, but. I think more than anything, it was just execution and lack of a third pitch. He did not have a third pitch. And the fastball uh, was pretty straight. So, I, was mean, he a I, starter? I loved uh Was that. Was he a starter? For a time. They moved him to the bullpen over time. Um, another guy during that time that I thought was going to be pretty good was G-Man Choi. Um, but I, I, thought he'd be, I thought he'd be better than he is. Um I thought he'd be an on-base machine, and, and it just didn't play, but I really liked him. Um, feel the Oh, I loved Tyler uh, Matzik. Loved Tyler Matzik. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you're yeah. seeing what – that was a little different because of some internal things, but love Tyler Matzik. Um, definitely biased to Brad Miller because when I worked for the High Desert Mavericks, he was kind of our star player, and – Um, love Brad Miller, you know, I'm definitely biased there. Definitely a few stories to go with it. Um, but, uh, the guys you miss on are the ones that you need to learn from. That's the most important thing is, is understand why you missed. And that's kind of where I go with it. Do you keep track in like a journal or anything of like the type of players that you're following? I do. Yeah. I've got, I've got my notebook. Um, and I, I end up, I've, (laughs) I've got my 2021 notebook, but I've got about 40 notebooks (laughs) at the house. Um, Yeah. I mean, you you keep track and it's like my, my 21 notebook, you know, from what I saw in spring training for certain guys that had video or were with the major league, you know, roster or whatever. And, you know, I I have it from that day to when I saw them the first week of the season to the third week of the season to the fourth, you know, you, you look for the adjustments. You look for constant changes, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I've got notes. <laughs> I've got, <yeah. laughs> <For me. laughs> it's a long notebook. It, the ones that you get wrong, though, I feel like it's more mental. And I think that you're – I think you've got a, a good spot is I, I need to write them down. You need to write them down and know why you hit or why you missed. That's good advice.
0: All right, so uh... – one of our last questions here, because I know you got to wrap up here. So another thing that uh, the three of us share that we're passionate about is minor league baseball. And I remember back a couple of years ago, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball decided that they were going to cut 40 teams. Now, Andrew and I have had the privilege of interviewing a couple of uh, former baseball players, Matt Antonelli being a big one. We recently interviewed Ty Butry. And we wanted them to talk about how difficult life in the minors is. So I want your opinion. A, are minor league players underpaid? I know that's a laughable question, but some people just don't even think that way. And B, what needs to be done to make life in the minors more feasible to the sense where guys can actually afford to play baseball and not basically pay out of pocket?
1: Uh, Yes, minor league baseball players are not paid. Squat. They're not paid shit. Um, sorry, my bad. Um, <laughs> no, it. yeah. Inside, yeah. uh, you know, they work. They'll show up uh, seven o'clock game, right? They'll show up at the stadium yeah. at two or three o'clock. Four hours there. Three hour game. Um, three hour game. Hour post game shower, everything like that, and and decompress. So you're talking about roughly an eight to nine hour shift at work. Um, some of these guys aren't making a thousand dollars a month you know, $1,200 yeah. a month. So do the math. I mean, that's, you're talking about hourly wages right around four four or $5 dollars per hour. I mean, who, who can business. do that? Oh, and um, it's just, you know, that that's just an unfair certainty. And obviously some guys put in the work more than others and everything, but, but realistically, you need to be giving these guys close to minimum wage. So even if you said, um, well, even if you said that it was to the point of, you know, we're going to make an assumption, you play 140 games. We're gonna times that by eight hours, and we're gonna pay you minimum wage—15 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever minimum wage is per state. What, you know, make your own decision. Whatever, I don't care. Um, Twelve dollars, whatever. But if you did that, that's fair assessment. You can at least, yeah. you know, get away with that and, and explain to a kid: Look, you're not gonna be making more than minimum wage, but we're gonna pay you something that's gonna at least, ma- you know, allow you to to live consistently as for how to kind of establish things i think what they do in the dominican is actually really cool is it's essentially almost like a college program it's you have housing it's it's a dorm you have housing you have a, a rule you know in, no girls no smoking no whatever you know things like that and you have to go to classes and you know for for me i think that english speaking players in today's baseball, we need to be teaching kids Spanish. So why we're teaching the, the Latin kids down in the Dominican English. Why aren't we teaching, at least in some sense, trying to have our English players learn a little bit of Spanish or, or, or Japanese? You know, certain languages that, that blend well with baseball. So if you can find, I mean, how much, how much would it cost to buy a chain, a, an owner to buy four houses? Four houses within reason of the ballpark. You put the buses there, you transport them from there and there, and they live in these dorms. And it does take away certain freedoms. You know, it, it takes away certain freedoms because you have to abide by the rules of everything there. But why can't you buy these housing facilities instead of saying to a kid in San Bernardino who's making $1,200, hey, um, you know, go find a place to rent. And he's making $1,200 a month and his rent is 3500 and yeah. you've got five kids sitting in a house in a what you know one bedroom house sleeping four to a bed or whatever. That's unfair, and that and that's kind of the problem. Um, I think we also need the NFL has their um, their draft. I'm trying to think of how to they'll put the draft deal or or a, you know a speaker deal with the the kids that are eligible to be drafted in the NFL. They'll put them into this meeting, um, and there will be women outside. There will be things outside. And these super hot women go and they say, hey, here's my number. You know, when you get to NFL, call me, blah, 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 things like that. And then the speaker comes out on stage with the girl and says, by the way, this girl has herpes or whatever. And he says, make your decisions. Why teach the kids just how to be a professional in these sports, teach them life of baseball, life of being a baseball player, life of things like that. You can do that in a dorm. You can do that all together. So why not try and house these kids? Um, also, t- don't take away 100-something damn jobs from baseball players for each organization by eliminating teams and also eliminating jobs throughout those communities. Um, dear God, just... Dude, you know, like the worst part about that
0: is the fact that they lied. It was like, oh, well, we're doing this so we could increase the wage. The wage went up by, like, $100, $200. It
1: it, it just no, was- it, was, it was junk. It's... um. I just – I was sitting there thinking about Burlington, Iowa. Burlington, Iowa is not that great of a place, and even the people who live there can tell you that. It's per- perfectly fine saying this, but Burlington, Iowa, the Burlington Bees themselves, X amount of people go to each game. It's, not, it's less than 1,000 people per game, whatever it is, but how many employees lost seasonal jobs right there? It were very important seasonal jobs for the year right there in, in Burlington, Iowa. They lost housing, they lost food, you know, whatever it is. Um, you eliminated a very serious part of that community with jobs, income to the community. And I mean, I'm using one city, but 40 damn cities across the nation. And, and these are serious towns. I mean, look at what they're how, the, how they treated Fresno. Fresno's population, I think, is in the top 40 cities in the United States. And you're talking about one of the top most populous regions of the United States and you're going to try and bully your way into telling them they're moving or doing this and that, come on. Come on, Robbie. Like, what? what is this? So, I grew up in
0: Bakersfield, so, I mean, yeah, that's another know, market that just lost the team.
1: Exactly. And, and you understand that there was less than a 1,000 people at every Bakersfield game, and it was specialty nights, but, shoes, there was maybe horrible less than stadium. people. <laughs> oh, to horrible, but how many jobs? How many people had yeah. jobs there in Bakersfield? Which, Bakersfield is not a cheap place to live, even though it's not – the greatest place in the, in the world. I mean, um, no no insult here, Fernando, and no insults people in Bakersfield. I absolutely love I the city, but it, it's, the armp- <laughs> it's the armpit of California. Um, yeah, I love Bakersfield. I, I really do. But, I mean, shoes. what is that? 50 people per night that don't have a job suddenly? Even if yeah, it's, it's 20 people. Cool. 20, I mean, 50, cool. whatever it is, they don't have a job anymore. It and that's just, of, yeah. it's upsetting. But it's a, I would say try and figure out a way to house the players properly. Let their fu- If you're going to pay them crap, even if you're paying them minimum wage, find a way to let them take that minimum wage to at least have a career, at least have a job, not a hobby.
2: Yeah, you would think that the economics of it would equal out to a point where if you give them better food, better housing, and even one player turns out to be like a superstar in a 20-year period, that that value from that one player for the years of arbitration would be more than all the money it costs to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think um, I looked it up. It's um, if you gave minimum wage to all your minor league players, I think it would cost you around five, five to $6 million. And, and I'm, I'm trying to remember just off the top of my head, but five to $6 million, I don't have five, $6 million laying around anywhere, but what's a middle reliever cost? Exactly. I mean, what realistically you you sign a free agent middle reliever? He's signing for four million dollars. So, yeah. you're yeah. telling me yeah. that you can't afford a, a middle reliever for two hundred kids that have a chance to be that middle reliever or more? Come on.
2: Yeah. You because, know? Yeah. You know that development is big on stress. When people don't feel stressed, they learn better. They are more secure in their life. They're more likely to put more effort into what they're doing. I just don't understand.
1: No, I, I mean. Like I said, I don't have five six million dollars around, and I can't tell someone that's a bil- a billionaire what to do with their money because they became billionaires for a reason. I'm I have no disrespect for people that have money. I, I don't think you know when people talk about these billionaires as as bad people and being greedy or whatever. whatever. They made their money. You know they were successful with what they did. I'm proud. I'm very happy that they were able to do that. But you're telling me that one guy as a a role player on your major league roster, you can't look at 200 kids or 150 kids and say, "I'm going to invest 10 million dollars for a year on those 200 kids with housing, minimum wage." What it, you, I mean, shoots. You want to add benefits? That'd be ideal, but hey. you don't have to. I mean, how about something normal like nutrition? Exactly, and, and it's, it just seems it just seems so simple to as an investment saying. I'm going to spend X amount, but the problem becomes, Hey, I don't have to spend that 10 million because they're going to play for a million that I'm, you know, that they cost me or whatever it is. So it's an iffy situation, but I, I think there's a way to to really do this right. And I think that, you know, major league baseball has really let down the kids in the systems.
0: Absolutely. Let me ask you this as a you know as somebody who's a member of the press yourself and has been for a while. Why do you think that stories like this that need to be talked about aren't getting the attraction that
1: they deserve? Um a bit of a political game. Okay. National national writers obviously got there for a reason, same as the billionaire owners and everything like this, but they got there for a reason. Um, Part of that reason is the relationships they built with certain people. And you don't always want to burn bridges. Um, And I'm not specifying anyone. I'm really not specifying anyone. But also lack of care. I mean, people across the nation in general do not care about some kid playing baseball that's not Mike Trout. That's, I mean, look, I mean, people don't care about baseball in general. Look at Mike Trout. He's a generational talent. How many commercials, how many commercials per night do you see Mike Trout on and shoots? I mean, yeah. I, I watched it. I was watching a commercial just the other day and asked my wife, I said, do you know who that is? And she said, no, it was Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, like people just don't care. And it's, you know, it's just part of it. And It's like, um, you tell me how many people in the in the nation know who Mike Trout is? What's, what's the percentage of people in the nation that know who Mike Trout is or Shohei Otani or Fernando Tatis or Aaron Judge? How many people in the nation at percentage know that? Then you start saying, okay, by the way, if there's this 20-year-old kid who's not making minimum wage down in Knoxville, Tennessee, or wherever it is. Um, are you willing to support this case? And it's like, no. <laughs> like, what yeah. are you talking about? So it's, yeah. it's lack of care. It's lack of care across <clears> the nation. It's a it's a very specific market. Um, I mean, I'm sure that I, I, I'll tell you right now. I'm sure there are other places that have the same issue. Other other businesses, and I'm not talking sports. I'm talking there's businesses that have this problem that I have no idea about, and sadly, I I might not care about you know, and I, whether that's ignorance to that business or or just lack of interest, whatever it is, and that's the sad reality. Is is you, we talk about baseball as America's pastime um it's not it's really not and america's pastime now is kind of pop music or or whatever the hell it is you know yeah. i don't know but but people Good just do not know. care people just don't care
0: it's just crazy though to think of a situation where you know if i were to tell you oh here's a guy who's going to be making you know 4 dollars an hour eating poorly i mean you think that i'm probably talking about a, a child working in an unfortunate situation like a like a sweatshop or something yeah. but no, we're talking about an 18-year-old kid who, you know, A, might be wanting to start a family. I mean, there's some of the guys who have families. Could you imagine having a two or three-year-old child? You know, you're married, you're trying to support them, but you can't even support yourself. You're literally going to 7-Eleven to get, you know, a cookie for a dollar because that's what you can afford. And that's what Ty Buttry told us, that, you know, a lot of these guys have to go to the gas station and get, you know, $1.50 cakes because that's what they can afford to eat. You know, they give you $20 per diem a day in the minors, but they take most of it away.
1: I think part of it, too, is people don't look at baseball as a business. I mean, you know, we're we're talking Angels mostly, right? Three million fans at Angel Stadium every year, or three million tickets sold, whatever it is. Uh There are 50,000 people of that three million or whatever that still look at baseball as a business as opposed to, hey, it's Tuesday night, let's go to a baseball game. And I mean, I'm not, you know, that was me. I love That's the way I want to look at baseball is I want to look at baseball and say, let's go buy a ticket. Let's go buy a hot dog. Let's go have a beer Tuesday night. Let's go to the ballpark. But people don't realize that minor league baseball provides that at such a a different cost. And and these businesses, people don't look at it as a business and they look at it as a career dream. You know, it's like um, almost like an internship in a sense. And they're like, Yeah, you know, if a kid wants to dream and, and be a baseball, that's the thing. I mean, how many kids do we just absolutely crap on when they're eight years old and they're like, I want to be a major league baseball player? And you'd be like, ah, sucks. You're gonna be a <laughs> McDonald's cook. You know, I don't know. And, and, and it's like we Ooh. need to we need to get back to we need to get back to telling kids, hey, dream, dream big, you know, let's do this. And and we need to establish that Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, for that matter, is a business. And these are jobs. When you become a professional baseball player, that is your job. Same as uh, the guy that's working behind the counter at at Walgreens or the guy that is President of the United States. It is their job. And it just so happens that, you know, this one guy that has this job in baseball – Is not playing for the Angels. He's playing for the Inland Empire 66ers. And he still has a way to go to you know get advance in his job, but that job only permits him X amount of money. And when he gets to the peak of his job, he's gonna make millions of dollars. People suddenly, you know, hear that gap and they're like, whatever. And that's where we need to kind of fix it is is make people realize this is a business. These guys have jobs as professional baseball players. They're only part-time jobs, sadly, but we need to get them to a point of. These are jobs that need actual wages that allow them to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
0: couldn't agree more.
2: Do you think uh, that the next step will be maybe Congress taking a look at it through like the federal exemption
1: so they don't have to pay a minimum wage? I'm not a, a political person. Um, I've seen I've seen that report. I've read that report. I, there's a lot of it that I just don't know. And I'll be real honest with you. <laughs> um I'm a history buff and things like that. Um, politics was just never something that I I delve into. So Good sadly, I, I don't know if I can give you a proper response on that one. No worries.
0: All right. Uh, last question I have for you. So in 2018, uh, you were doing Lockdown Angels, correct? Uh,
1: 19. 19 was my first year.
0: Okay. All right. uh, So, uh, you know, maybe just going back to your fandom Then in 2018, uh, Shohei Ohtani, think back to his rookie season. Did you ever think that the version of Shohei Ohtani today that we're seeing before our eyes would have ever been possible?
1: No. So I thought about that. The spring training deal, I didn't care. I, you know, you, you knew, like, the spring training number sucked and I, all these reports, oh, he can't hit, he can't pitch. It's like, shut up. He's, it's spring training. Um, it was a big deal I, everywhere. Matt, for I record. legitimately thought he would be a star pitcher. Star-studded pitcher, um, one of the tops in the leagues. Uh, um, you know, someone that we put in with Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, guys like that. I did not think he'd hit a lick. I genuinely wow. thought he'd be a 200 I thought he'd be a 200 hitter that ran into 20 home runs by, by surprise. Um, I never thought he'd hit. Um, we're seeing what he's doing as a pitcher and it's you know it's getting there. Um, he's arguably one of the top five hitters in baseball. I mean, I think you could argue he's a he's a top five hitter in baseball and and kind of has been um, did not expect that. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> did not expect that at all.
0: Yeah, I think people really critiqued his hitting. You know, his mechanics were off. And that was the biggest thing during that spring training. It was him trying to adjust to the pitching here. And, you know, he still had that really long, awkward leg kick back then. And, you know, it it, it was strange. Like from the end of the freeway series in 2018, you know, that they do during spring training to like that first game, he's like, I'm going to stop kicking my leg. and I'm just going to do the toe tap. And all of a sudden, it just kind of (laughs) clicked. But, yeah, man, what we're seeing this year out of Shohei Otani is just, you know, he's not a person. You know, he's a machine at
1: this point. I think the thing that we all missed was his hips. If you did a a side-by-side square right of the hips, the belt line, and you put it next to Bryce Harper, I don't know if you could tell who's who. He has so much torque in that mid-core. He's so strong in his core, so strong in his core. His hips have such great rotation. It's so violent but so clean of a swing um, that that extension or uh, the separation he gets from having his hands back the way he does. I I think we just ignored the most obvious part of, of what Shohei is, and it's that torque. And I think that's why we saw such a violent swing. We didn't look at the naturalness of it. And that's where I just was like, yeah, this kid's going to hit 500-foot home runs, but I just don't see where these hips match up and it's just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, dude's hitting 272 82, 90, whatever he's hitting. And, uh, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. It's remarkable.
0: You want to talk about guys you whiffed on, right?
1: I'll, yeah. I'm <laughs> all, no, I, I am all for it. And like I said, I thought this guy would be, you know, 200, 220 hitter, whatever. Um, on base percentage would be serviceable. He'd strike out a ton. He'd hit some home runs. He'd be a hell of a pitcher. And, uh, yeah, I'm cool with being wrong on that. And I, I'm starting to figure out why I was wrong with that. And I'm happy with with what I've come up with.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, just baseball fans in general, man. I mean, you just, sometimes you just got to sit back and appreciate greatness. And, uh, you know, I have a six-year-old who's asleep in the other room. And, you know, just, it, just he, he goes to games and he's starting to really like it. But, you know, just one day I just want to be able to sit back and tell him, like, you know what, son? Like, you just got to sit back and enjoy it, you know. We've all had those players that we just sat back and truly enjoyed. But he, he really is a guy that he's going to tell his grandkids about.
1: It's its funny. I, I was obsessive with Shohei when he was in Japan um, all the way to coming over. And it didn't matter who he was going to sign with. I was obsessive about him. But it's just no one expected this. And, and how can Absolutely. you? And, um, you know, we are – the world is ignoring – how many people in the world know who – you know, we, we talk about the percentage of Americans that know who Mike Trout is or whatever. How many people in the world know who Babe Ruth is? It's a large number. Absolutely. We, we need to start getting yeah, the market. world to know who Shohei Otani is. 100%. Yeah, that
0: goes to the mismarketing of just several players in general. But, uh, you know, that goes on uh, certain people who run baseball. Maybe maybe we'll, we'll stay out of that business for now.
1: But, yeah, uh, maybe thanks. a
0: future episode.
1: <laughs> thanks, uh, Thanks, Robbie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, no, they should definitely be doing a lot more to Marcus Shohei Otani. Hopefully they get that memo. And if you guys are listening to this, Mark and Shohei Otani, that's just a, a money printing machine. If that, I mean, that's what you guys care about, right? Come on, Robbie. Yeah,
2: they have a but, 24-hour so, camera, right, on Shohei Otani <laughs> at all times in Japan. So whenever it's they
1: day, do. Now, keep this in mind. This is the most documented player in baseball, maybe ever, right? no one knows what his off-field activities are. That's true. Yeah. That's, I love it. And that's a very cool thing. That's a very cool thing. No one knows what restaurant he went to. No one knows what, you know, what he's doing post-game, pre-game, anything like that. But he's the most documented player in baseball. No, everyone knows that he was at the stadium at 1.37 p.m. with uh, 57 seconds, but no one knows what he did before that. I love that about him. Absolutely
0: love it about him. Showy is definitely an Instacart DoorDash kind of guy. I feel like he's he doesn't get out. Like, you know, like you'll find photos of like Mike Trout, like at Pet Petco on a on Twitter. You know, like, oh, he's here, he's at Fogo de Chow, you know, something like that. But yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, I never hear about Shoyotani. Like people tell me, like, oh yeah, Mike Trout's favorite hot dog place is over here. You can catch him there most Wednesdays. Like I hear stuff like that all the time. But yeah, man, Shoyotani like literally lives under a rock
1: but he's the most documented player in baseball, which is just so odd to me. And I love it. Absolutely love it. How long do you think that lasts yeah. for? Maybe <laughs> until next
2: year.
1: So. <laughs> Ask the commissioner's office. We'll find out. But, uh, yeah. Going show reality show.
0: <laughs> Get ready for the reality show. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Andrew, any closing thoughts for Taylor before we let him uh, plug everything he's got going on?
2: Oh, yeah. Just, just thanks, man. You're extremely knowledgeable. It's been great talking.
1: No, it's been it's been really fun, guys. I really appreciate being on with you guys. And uh, thanks for asking me to come.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was a lot
0: of fun. I mean, it, you know, the, the one thing I love about podcasts, uh, especially for me, I listen to them all the time because I travel or I'm in the car all the time driving. In between jobs is that uh, with podcasts you almost feel like you're friends with somebody even though you don't directly know them and you know <laughs> your voice was so familiar to me for such a long period of time so it feels like i'm having a conversation with somebody who i've you know listened to for years so this is this has been a really cool experience for me thanks for taking the time and uh before you hop off uh where can people find you what do you have going on right now anything you want to plug
1: yeah um you know I, I appreciate it man it's it thanks for listening when i was on locked on and everything and then that was kind of the thing is you, you want to be able to um be personable you know that vin scully you know everyone that's ever listened to vin scully thinks they're buddies with him and it's like i you know yeah. I, when i was growing up it was uncle vin you know <laughs> uncle vin was telling bedtime <laughs> stories so i appreciate those kind of words man i really do um you can follow me on Twitter, at TaylorBlakeWard. You can follow my work at HomePlateView.com. New website that's uh, up and running and pretty fun to be a part of and, and kind of start pushing a few things. And um, in the near future, I can't share too much just yet, but uh, look out for a book, a uh, book that will be very fun to uh, push out to an audience. And uh, it's going to have some angel stuff, going to have plenty of angel stuff that's going to be really fun to, to find out about.
0: Perfect. Well, do me a favor. When that book comes out, let me know and we'll plug it any way we can. We'll do everything we can for you.
1: You got it, man. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, uh, on behalf of Andrew and uh, Taylor, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this draft episode and everything else that Taylor brought to the table. Thanks, everyone.
2: Thanks, guys.